Okay, guys, welcome back to Talking. Damn it. <laughs> the volume, I, the volume A, the volume, the volume matrix. The volumes. <laughs> okay, welcome back to Talking Fit, guys. Today, Greg and I are going to be talking about the battle of training volume. There's been a lot of confusion in the industry as of late as to what we should actually be doing in regards to our training volume, and God knows we need every single secret that we can get to continue to get bigger and stronger, because as we all know, the day that you start lifting is the day that you shall be forever small. Yes. Also, the day you realize numbers don't end. Because you'll end up thinking to yourself, when I get, remember saying to yourself, when I can squat 100 kilos, I'll be happy. Oh, God. The thing is, like, for me, it was always a case of everything worked in multiples of, like, 20 plates. Oh, yeah. So yeah. everything, so it's like, once I squat a 60, nothing fucking mattered until I got 100. Mm. Then 140. And then 180. I still have yet to squat 180. I'm five kilos short, man. And now it's five kilos short. fucking killing yourself for a kilo. Oh, don't. Like, that's the thing, like, that has got me with Olympic lifting is the fact that. I'm literally finding myself celebrating over getting like a, a one kilo PB. And I'm just like, the, the inner power lifter in me is punching the new weightlifting version of me in the face. So let's first dive in and start talking about what volume actually is. So when we're talking about volume in regards to training, we are not talking about the level of the music. What we are actually talking about is the total tonnage number of reps or number of sets that is done within a workout. All of these things added together makes up the total training volume for that particular session. Now, this is incredibly important because as we've talked about, progressive overload is one of the fundamental tenets of success in training. You need to make sure that you are asking more of your body continuously cycle upon cycle. However, you can't do that forever or otherwise you're gonna end up in the situation where all you do is work out for a minute and one reps for a minute and one sets. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the confusion lies in what the hell are we actually meant to do in terms of structuring our volume? And there's been a lot of sort of controversy about this, about who we should actually be following, what we should be doing. So we're just going to quickly do a deep dive into what we think at the moment based on the information that is available to us um, and also our own opinions, anecdote and conjecture is the best information for you as the person beginning training right here, right now. So Greg, I walk in straight off the street and I say to you, Man, I want to get into lifting. Tell me about training volume. Normally, would I, get, it depends, I suppose it depends what they want to do as well. Like with muscle growth, I'd always consider, at the start especially, because you have to look at like when people talk about MRV, so maximum recoverable volume, like the most amount of work you can do and still recover or at least go back to baseline. These are the very last tricks that you can pull out of your Batman belt. Um, and what I mean by that is you should not, we should always chase enough volume to progress in the beginning. It's like people who walk into a gym and begin to squat with chains. These are your last tricks that you are, that you are draining at the very beginning of a program. At the start with training volume, I would normally go quite low and I would concentrate on progressive overload in terms of weight lifted on the bar for initial clients. I think that when we start to increase sets over time, this is when we stall. So we first we have to stall in our general progressive overload as weight on the bar and then we can start looking at adding in a little bit more volume. And I genuinely believe it's a little bit more. 
I completely agree. I mean, Jim Wendler makes an incredibly good point on the subject of volume in his book Beyond 531. Uh, 531 is a fantastic program, and please do go support all Jim Wendler-related things by going to his website and buying everything to do with 531. It is a fantastic program. But he makes a very, very good point about volume in terms of if you throw everything that you can at the wall straight at the beginning, you're going to find out that you've got nothing left to throw at the wall very, very quickly. Mm. And Greg's exactly right. If you want to increase overall number of sets, reps, whatever. That is very, very important, don't get me wrong. But once again, we then find, I think, in the discussion about volume, a lot of people fall into, you know, Martin Burkan's... Um, <coughs> nice one, Greg. Um, they fall into Martin Burkan's um, fuck-about-itis issue, where... Hello. Yeah, I know. Where they basically go, okay, so this phase I am going 8 to 6 reps, and the next phase I am going 10 to 12 reps, and the next phase I am going 12 to 15 reps, and then I come back to 6 to 8 reps. However, I'm going to increase the total number of sets, and then it all just becomes a point where you're moving from phase to phase to phase to phase to phase based on time frame, not necessarily based on whether you have finished adapting to that phase. Manipulating var- variables in a program, I think now after many years of failed training, um, <laughs> and none of us ever really achieving yeah. <laughs> the pinnacle of what we wanted. In yeah, our early, in our early I, think, years. I think manipulating training variables should be in response to stalling. I think people so often, and I got started getting programmed by Kane just for this reason. Uh, so many people are will change out of novelty. And novelty is great, but if you really want progression, you've got to stick with a program. Um, I think like, just increasing volume or increasing any variable changing for the sake of it is fuck-around-itis. Yeah, I completely agree. And the thing is, we talked about this in one of the previous episodes, where novelty is incredibly useful to a certain extent. But in reference to the Talking Fit post that I made about skill acquisition, don't confuse getting good at a new skill as being the same thing as getting stronger. Mm, Very true. And that is something that a lot of people fall into the trap of, which is why they bounce from program to program, rep range to rep range, volume set to volume set. When we start manipulating volume, in my personal opinion, we need to start off at a very, very simple and relatively moderate Mm -hmm. volume level. Mm -hmm. So I very much fall in line with um, Brad Schoenfeld's idea of having 15 sets 10 to 20. Yeah, so 10 to 20. And then yeah. sort of sitting in the middle of yeah. 15, depending on who I'm dealing with, um, of sets per body part, and then manipulating those as necessary. So if someone's really happy with their arms but wants to you know, do more with their legs, then all I need to do is just swap around those set variables. So if I have 15 sets for everything, it's very easy to just manipulate what needs to be done over the course of a training week. Now, obviously, this then becomes slightly more complicated when you're dealing with individuals who have personal training sessions um, where they're only having, let's say, three sessions per week. Then it becomes a little bit more complicated because obviously the time frame is condensed. But you can still, relatively speaking, follow the exact same guideline of 10 to 20 sets and focus on progressive overload. After that, then you can start messing around with undulating through rep ranges or progressing linearly or reverse linearly yeah. if you if you want to but ultimately it's going to come back to what your fundamental goal is I think as well like I mean what's been thrown around a little bit is like to determine volume people are using total time under tension uh, uh, boo I think <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's it's a nice way to give you a solid number total time under tension will be the amount of time you spent in a rep 
multiplied by the reps, multiplied by the sets to give you a total number of seconds that you've actually worked. So to put that in context, what that means is that if we have 10 reps that are four seconds down and a one second pause at the top, each rep is five seconds. So you'll have 50 total seconds per set of time under tension. And then multiply that by the sets will give you total time under tension. Multiply by all, add it to all the other exercises for that day will give you total time under tension. Now, the only reason why I don't really rate this is because is, uh, so if I, did five, if I did sets of 10 at four seconds down, could I just change it to sets of five at eight seconds down and still get the same training response? Absolutely not. You're absolutely, you're training, you're changing so much in that. And so you're just overloading eccentrically, doing very little concentrically. And it's why I personally wouldn't use it. But it does get thrown around, and I think it might have a place. We'll find a place for it somewhere. I will, I'm unsure of it yet, but they will find a place for it somewhere. Yeah, I think that in terms of the way that I look at using tempo in regards to training volume and total time and attention is that it's a very useful tool for beginners who, generally speaking, come into the gym and have a very low movement capacity or a very low movement index. Mm. So it's a really good way of increasing that level of um, mind-muscle connection to the movement and task which we are trying to accomplish, which at this point is still relatively novel. However, what we tend to find is that if we focus simply on just the eccentric portion, we're also limiting the amount of neural drive that we get from that concentric, okay, so the upward phase of the lift. And I'll have to get Kane to double check this study for me, but I believe it was shown that concentric, um, concentric move uh, sections of the lift showed to have a greater impact on strength gain and hypertrophy gain but only when actively moved as fast as possible under increased levels of resistance so basically you have to try and move that heavy weight as fast as possible on the way up and if it's slow that will be due to physics and the amount of weight that you're moving, not the speed at which you are moving according to tempo. If there is not that high level neurological um, adaptation um, and input, you will not gain muscle. As I say, they did, the problem is, um, the confusion that was brought about was, I remember Tudor, bon Tudor Bamba's book, period his periodization book, where he spoke about if you separate the movements and you do eccentric only versus concentric only movements, eccentric only can actually have, especially in beginners, a slightly more beneficial effect on hypertrophy. Now, that is very confusing, only because, first of all, it's in beginners, and beginners aren't particularly efficient at the concentric movement. If you put a barbell back squat on a newbie, they are not particularly targeting their quads. I think it's a movement that becomes quite... Finish my sentence. It basically becomes a bit of a hybrid clusterfuck because you end up being in a situation where they are trying to accomplish the shape of a squat rather than necessarily firing all the muscles that are appropriate to what we're trying to get from that movement pattern. Perfect, thank you. So then whether then you, if you speak about controlled eccentrics in a newbie, they are much more efficient in that movement. So that generally will be why they tend to improve eccentrically at the beginning. But putting both together as a full movement, concentrics have to be slow but not force slow. Exactly, and then that ultimately feeds into how we think about volume in regards to your actual goals. So we've talked a lot about increasing volume and fundamentally we've both agreed on the fact that progressive overload has to come first and adaptation to volume is ultimately what's going to dictate whether or not we increase or decrease volume. 
At the same time, though, we need to take into consideration the beginning goals of the client and what they actually want to get from this training uh, procedure. So let's first start off with muscle gain because we get dudes in here and they want to gain muscle. Now, as we've said, we want to basically start off with a base level of volume and progressively overload from there. I feel that is kind of the agreed starting point. Now, in terms of progressive overload, the big thing here is that people get suckered into, right, I'm not progressing because I haven't made a five kilo jump each week. That is entirely not true. And this is why in terms of our volume control, we keep the sets the same, but we use repetitious brackets. So we have brackets of six to eight, eight to 10, 10 to 12. And the reason for this is by using the rep brackets, we have a maximal number of reps and a minimal number of reps. If you hit that maximal number, go up. If you hit the mid-tier number, stay. If you hit the lower tier number, stay or potentially go down. That way, your progression is inbuilt. If you literally turn up the next week and just beat your previous numbers, either in terms of reps or weight lifted for those reps, you have progressed. The problem that we find when people start messing about with their volume is the fact that they haven't actually inbuilt a intelligent progression to the reps used or the weight used in that session. So they think by adding more, that's necessarily going to be better when really they just haven't maximized the potential of the current volume that they're on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a really good way of putting it. And um, like I used to make that mistake regularly where give me a give me a rep bracket and I always aim for the low end of it because I want to lift heavy because I presumed that would make me bigger. It's not necessarily true. Total tonnage will determine a little bit more because like, I mean, I used to fry myself in my first sets trying to lift the heaviest way possible. We need to find, like that's a, You've discussed that in the post before, whether you discuss whether you want to do um, top sets or broad sets. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. So top sets is in like gradually increasing the weight up to one mass, up to one maximum weight for that rep range, or finding a weight somewhere in the middle and hitting that all the way through. Which I've actually learned to prefer a little bit more now. Um, you don't fry yourself. You tend to hit a better total tonnage, which you actually discussed in the post. Yeah. And also what I tend to find also is that the risk of injury goes down massively because you're placing that limiter on yourself. Did I hit the appropriate number of reps? Yes, no. If no, stick. You don't end up doing anything stupid. It gives you a very simple guideline to follow. Very, very simple. Now, as we progress into building muscle, we have the advantage of being in a calorie surplus because as we talked before, you can handle more training volume and ultimately get a greater hypertrophic effect. So the act of like, you know, building muscle when you are in a calorie surplus as opposed to maintenance, which if you do have any muscle gain at maintenance will generally speaking be to the novelty of the new stimulus or the new training volume or whatever it may or be. Or new training heat. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like newbie gains are a thing, whether we like to admit it or not. I, love I wish I had newbie gains. Could you imagine going back and being 15 year old you with the knowledge that you have now? You would be a monster. It would be amazing. Yeah, like while everyone else is like hurting themselves, you'd just be crushing it. Yeah. No, no, stupid Mindset. time travel. We need a DeLorean. Stupid we need a DeLorean Mindset. right now. But yeah, so here's the thing. When you are in a calorie surplus, you can essentially increase volume as and when necessary. And we use necessary as a very hard and fast term here. Um, because you have the ability to create a recovery buffer by increasing your calories as your volume goes up. Does, is that a thing? So if you increase volume, you can increase calories, or if you decrease volume, you can decrease calories? I mean, I hear that is how it works, and that's what we're going to get onto with fat loss in just a second. So 
Because we're having a greater level of energy available within the body, you can effectively drive up volume in a much more efficient capacity without experiencing metabolic burnout. Now, this can't go on forever, and that's when we talk about getting to um, peak phases of volume and then dropping back down to resensitize and then using heavier weights for that volume. What we tend to find is that the more sets we ask of a trainee, typically the lighter the weights they have to use because the impact of the total tonnage on their fatigue level goes up. You can buffer this for a while, but eventually the body will adapt because it is an adaptation machine. That is when you scale back in terms of volume and go for heavier weights. This is how we can look at progressive overload in a macro sense over the course of potentially an entire year if you want to be a nerd and write out a year of programming which is super nerdy and super cool I don't like programming I don't know why like you and Kane love it I hate programming I like programming because I, I like having I like having a very very distinct game plan but at the same time like Kane is the ultimate programmer because I I reach number fatigue very very quickly so yeah. I have to take my time whereas Kane is like I feel like he's actively plugged into the internet yeah. <laughs> like I feel like he's absorbed the internet via osmosis but as I was saying, this allows for a year-long sense of progressive overload, which is fantastic. But you can't stay in a calorie surplus forever. There comes a point where you do have individuals who come in who and say, right, look, I want to lose body fat. And this is going to impact volume in a number of ways because the minute we start reducing the total amount of calories that a person has available to them, their ability to buffer fatigue, okay, and stave off injury and still stay metabolically active before the body has to start down-regulating certain hormones such as the production of leptin, which then affects appetite suppression and a number of other things. To prevent that from happening, we need to minimize as much as possible the stress that we're putting on the body and training volume is a stressor, okay? So what typically happens, and this is something Lana Don's a very big proponent of and something I completely agree with, as you continue to drop calories, your training volume will actually downregulate. Now, you can, in a short-term sense, drop calories and increase training volume. But generally speaking, this happens for larger individuals who, like, let's be being honest and frank, have that excess fat that they can use as energy to make up the deficit. But long-term for leaner, so like the typical sort of skinny fat, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. individual, that isn't going to actually be the case. You're going to find that that person doesn't have as much of a store available as the larger trainee, so their volume is essentially going to end up crushing them if you don't regulate it properly. So like when we were doing the photo shoot and we did our protein sparing modified fast, like my training literally dropped down to, uh, God, what was it, 10 total sets. I did a 5 by 5 in a compound movement, and then I did guns. Mm guns and delts and that was literally it because I did not have enough calories available to maximize my level of recovery to get the most out of an increased training volume and fundamentally as we've said before training is meant to stimulate an adaptation not run you into the ground in a surplus you can have certain overreaching phases sure but you can't do that while you were in a consistent calorie deficit I think as well, like once you get low, once you get to the lower end of calories in a cut, it's really, really important that we maximize, so like he, like Rogan put it quite well, we need to maximize tension at this stage. We're looking at muscle retention rather than growth here. And the major factor when it comes to muscle retention will be actually lifting heavy weights, not the amount of volume you do. So generally speaking, like I think Ricky, one of our coaches here is running a really well, one of his guys coming to a photo shoot where he's decreasing his calories as time goes on. The guy's getting in really good shape, maintaining his muscle. 
but he's still trying to lift heavy within a particular rep range, but his volume is slowly dropping throughout that. He won't drop his tension, he won't drop his intensity, he's gonna drop his volume as we go through the weeks towards. Yeah, exactly. I think that's quite important. Yeah, that's exactly it. And the big thing to take into account there is the fact that it's a very, very simple thing to do. And it sounds like you are essentially um, shooting yourself in the foot by taking away reps, which are ultimately going to be the stimulus that burns calories. But people forget that lifting heavier weights also increases the amount of calories burnt and the glycogen that is ultimately utilized to achieve that heavier weight and that's the big thing people forget yeah I like that though as well because I think Eric Helms put it really well it tends to all come out in the wash a little bit as well like people will be like oh but I'm like I'm, I'm doing this much volume on my cut so I'll actually burn more calories will you though like realistically when you come into the gym you'll burn a limited amount of calories anyway you might get a, an adequate hormonal response from it maybe maybe you'll need more calories for repair but realistically, your body's going to be very smart at this stage of a diet, especially if you're quite low. It will, if you smash yourself in the gym with high volume, it will downregulate what you do for the rest of the day. It will balance. I think muscle growth and fat loss, they are not acute things. They are globalized, long-term effects. Like built, the architecture of building muscle, this is why when people talk about like, oh, you know, pre and post-workout carbohydrates is a necessity. I just think that it's not that acute, it's not that simple. The architecture, the building of muscle is so complex and takes so long that these acute bursts of insulin responses, XXX, will just come out in the wash, it'll balance. It's gotta balance somewhere, so it doesn't really fucking matter. And I think that's the same when it comes into a calorie deficit. I think people are worried about like training volume in terms of, oh, well, I'll need to repair the muscle that I've that'll burn and that'll burn more calories. No, your body's gonna downregulate somewhere. It'll find some way to retain that energy. So I think just keeping tension on the muscle and keeping intensity high is key. It's just the most important part when we get to that stage. Now, UP run a really completely different to that. They'll increase volume and decrease calories as their phases go through. I think that will kind of separate the weak from the strong and that's all it really does in my opinion probably like you'll get the people that can handle that and then it will crush certain people yeah and that's a really good, <clears throat> that's a really really good point actually is that that model of decreasing calories and increasing training volume really does separate the wheat from the chaff mentally yeah. because you like that level of that well, that style of training fundamentally becomes a deselection process if yeah. you have 10 people who are doing that you are going to maybe find two or three of them that really have like the mental fortitude to keep pushing and just not care about the fact that they feel like ass, they're still gonna get out and do their 20,000 steps and come and do their training program and keep their diet on track. Or physiologically, and, they're yeah. just well, more advanced probably isn't quite the word because it's not what they mean. They're but, different, they're different. Mm. Like, so, like you and I handle volume very, very differently. In terms of, because you know, for a number of different reasons. First of all, we're two separate people. Greg is like, what, six foot three? And a half. Yeah, three and a half on a good day. Every half inch counts. That's what he tells his wife. <laughs> but don't you smirk at me. <laughs> don't you smirk at me. Um, whereas, you know, I'm 5'10. I don't have to move the bar as far in a squat. And that does actually have an impact mm. on the total amount of weight moved. So That's the kind know, of thing that when, like, when you get really advanced into volume. But when net, like, I mean, there's absolutely no point. Oh, no, but I'm just, trying yeah, to I'm just trying to reiterate the point the fact yeah. that everyone is different. And there comes a point where, like, 
you are going to find certain people that handle volume in, in a very different way to others. And especially when you're talking about men and women, like women can handle a much higher level of volume in comparison to men at higher percentages of, the, of their one rep max. Um, because, you know, it is International Women's Day and fundamentally, when it comes to training, women have the potential to be far superior to us in their pain management and the amount of volume they can handle. Like, some of the women that come in here, I could not train like that. Yeah. I would die. But yeah, so we need to also fundamentally think about the fact that there also comes a point where you do just kind of want to maintain or gain-tain as... I prefer to think of it because oh, oh, this, this is actually no, but it's a good point though. I think it's a really good point. And because I had a client, I was talking to Roman about it. I had a client in the other day who was like, "I'm quite happy with my body." I was like, "Fuck me! You have won the game. You have, you have completed the level. It's over." And like maintenance is a very integral part of long-term body composition changes. And I think it's. A- absolutely fantastic goal to have to be able to say I want to stay in this good of a nick like Lane Norton That's put it, yeah like Lane, Lane Norton put it so well in the podcast that he did with Mark Bell where he said um, we don't have a weight loss problem everyone knows how to lose weight everyone we have a weight retention problem we do we have a weight maintenance problem because I'll do retention we have a weight maintenance problem because people don't know how to address their habits and fundamentally being able to say hey I want to stay at this state and not completely fall off the bandwagon. That is a very integral goal. But we talked, like, who was I speaking to about it? It's going to annoy me now. But anyway, like, you've lost all ex- extrinsic motivation at this stage, and it's fucking hard. You have got to the stage where you're reasonably happy with your shape, but you're not, you're working just as hard to maintain it, and no one's complimenting you anymore. You don't have that part of it anymore. This is the hardest part, and if people can actually maintain their weight, for extended periods of time, you've won, man. Like, you've won. That is so fucking hard to do. And like I said, the rogue is talking about it. It's habitual change, which is the biggest part of this. And people know how it was six out of seven will lose 10% of their body weight at some stage in their life. 95% of those will put it back on, plus probably extra. Like, those odds fucking are against you, boys. Those odds are against you. But weight maintenance and learning how to maintain weight is fucking huge. Long-term body composition changes re-establishing homeostasis for an extended period of time is fucking huge and the big thing there is that it's not just physiological homeostasis it is behavioral homeostasis because if you main, if you get to this new wicked body shape that is absolutely fantastic but if once the diet plan is over the cut is over you find yourself um, eating living and moving like the exact same asshole you were 12 weeks ago you have absolutely fundamentally screwed the pooch because what it comes down to is the fact that you need to look at change as a behavioral modification as much as anything else that is super super important so when you get to the point where you are trying to maintain think about the volume that is going to keep you there because that is fundamentally so important. Now, the big thing is when you get to that stage of maintaining, you are going to have to, once again, like I said, look at the behaviors that are going to keep you there. And a big part of that is making sure that you are at a training volume that is not going to knacker you and put you in the point where you want to eat everything under the sun because you're training too hard. You don't want to be in a situation where you drop your training volume and, um, end up putting body fat back on because even though you've maintained a sensible level of calories you've dropped the ass end out of your training volume so your total calorie expenditure is down you want to be in a situation where you go right maintenance calories and back to that maintenance level of volume which typically speaking will be generally i will put my clients about five total sets under what they've been doing training wise and keep their neat about the same 
because that way we have a fundamental controllable value which is going to allow you to maintain throughout that process and keep the body fat off. Now, obviously this is going to be a relatively um, adaptive phase where you can basically say, okay, how do you feel week on week? How do you feel day on day? There's a lot more internal feedback when you're in a maintenance phase. But fundamentally, you've just got to go by feel because you've done all the hard work at this point. Now you just need to make sure that you don't, you know, fuck to be up. frank, yeah, fuck it up. Like, um, there has been studies done on weight maintenance and what determines it and why some people are successful and some people aren't. Now, there's no, there's no golden bullet here. But generally speaking, people will be... Uh, accountable to something, so whether they rate, whether they weigh every day, whether they have a coach, whether their husband keeps them on track, whatever it may be, and um, they tend to stay reasonably high protein and they continue the training that got them skinny. That's a huge part of it. So when we talk about training volume, although you may have to lower it, just because you have achieved your desired weight does not mean you stop what you are doing. God, people are so stupid. <laughs> stupid people. Stupid lay people. No, but that's, but that's the thing. It just, <laughs> and they're drugs. <laughs> because that's the thing. When you finish your cut, you're just going to go have a whacking great big dose of meth. Mm. And just see what happens. But actually, in fairness, like you said, never seen a meth addict that's fat. Ever. Doesn't happen. But look, the fundamental, the fundamental thing here is this, guys. Like, volume is going to fundamentally be dependent on what your goal is. Because I'm going to really try and bring this train back on the rack. Um, train back on the rack. Train back on the rails. Thank you very much, Gregory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just been drawing on his trousers like I'm trying to colour it, colour in my stains and my trousers <laughs> so people don't see them. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> You're such a hillbilly at heart. Training volume is something that is very, very important, but ultimately you need to think about it as a mechanistic driver of change. If you have not stopped adapting, stop messing around with your training volume. Run the program till its natural conclusion, and believe me, you will know what that is based on your deload and reload cycles. And when you get to that point, then think about manipulating training volume, but do so in a smart way that is based on your goals, whether that be muscle gain, strength gain, fat loss, and or just maintaining your status right now. Maintenance is huge. Yeah, maintenance is probably one of the most important aspects of this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, guys, that has been Greg and I. We have dropped some knowledge about volume, which Kane is probably going to dispute later because he is substantially smarter than us. Oh, yeah. He is the internet, though. He is the internet. He has absorbed the internet. Anyway, guys, as always, please leave us a five-star review in no matter what place you hear our podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, doesn't matter. Leave us a five-star review. It really helps the show out. Please follow the links in the description box to support all things Talking Fit by following Greg, Kane, and myself on all forms of social media. And please do follow specifically our Facebook and Instagram pages. Anyway, we will catch you guys next week for another exciting episode and where we'll be talking about, I guess, something fitness-related. Happy Fabulous Lesbian Day. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Greg. (laughs) Kane, I really hope you enjoy editing this. Bye. (laughs)